0: Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today, we continue to answer a very important question, the question of who is God according to God? And today, we will continue talking about the Son of God. Remember that the Bible teaches a very complex truth about who God is, that God is three persons in one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, just one God. God the Father is not God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. God the Son is not God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father or God the Son. They are each distinct. They are each their own person. Yet there are not three gods. There is just one God. And each one of them is fully God. (laughs) It's It's a marvelous mystery that makes our heads spin a little bit. But that's okay because it's a good reminder that the God we believe in, It's a little bit bigger than what our brains have the capacity to figure out. That's exactly the type of God that we want to have. A God who is bigger than my little brain. As we continue talking about God the Son, I would like to begin by talking about an Old Testament prophet named Hosea. You may or may not know anything about Hosea. He was a prophet. His job was to speak God's word to God's people. And fun fact about Hosea, his marriage was arranged for him. An arranged marriage. But you might be surprised at who arranged it. It was arranged by God. God picked out Hosea's spouse. God told Hosea who he was supposed to go and marry, which must have made the whole like figuring out whether or not he wanted to propose part of the dating process pretty simple. <laughs> but God had arranged his marriage and they got married. But then one day, Hosea's wife was gone. Hosea's wife was
1: gone. He found out where she was. And in order to get his wife back, he needed to go purchase her. She was up for auction. She had been held by, by people who
0: were selling her to get his wife back. He needed to go and buy her back. and, And so he did. He went to the place where his wife was being auctioned off and whatever anyone else bid for her, he was willing to pay. He was willing to pay more than anyone else was willing to pay to get his
2: wife back. Ever wondered how much somebody would be willing to pay for you? your life, if
1: you were the one up for auction, if you were standing there on the auction block, would people offer anything for you? And what's the limit?
0: That whole process of Hosea buying his wife back, that's a process of that's called redemption. That's a Bible buzzword that we're going to start with today, the word redeem or redemption. It literally means to, to buy back. It's a word that you hear in the Bible very often associated with Jesus, that Jesus redeemed us. We have redemption through the work of Jesus. And so redemption is the work of Jesus buying us back from something. There was a cost that Jesus was willing to pay. And we're going to talk about that today as we talk about God the Son, our Redeemer. The price he paid for us and the freedom that he won
1: for us because of his redemption. We need to review a couple of key
0: concepts that we had talked about in previous lessons related to sin. Just reviewing that when we were born, we were born spiritually dead. You know, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, it says in the book of Ephesians chapter two. We are born with no ability to love God, no desire to love God. We are born dead in sin. Also reviewing what Romans chapter six says, that the wages of sin is death. That because of our sins, that's the reason we die, not just physically, but eternally. We earn eternal death. That's a sad result of sin, and that continues to happen. Death happens again and again and again and again. We are born in sin, we're conceived in sin, and because of our sins, the wages we earn, it's, it's death and the worst type of death. We also need to remember, as we talk about redemption, that we have an enemy. Sin entered the world because we have an enemy. Satan was originally a good angel that God had created to enjoy everything that heaven is, but then Satan led a rebellion against God and against against the angels who stayed good. He was kicked out of heaven, but now he, he roams the earth looking to lead the whole world astray. The devil hates God. The devil hates us. And he always will. And we need to keep those concepts in mind because those three things, sin, and death and Satan. When we are born, we in a sense belong to all of them in the sense that we can't escape their influence in our lives. They all show up in our lives in different ways at different times. Power of sin shows up as we give in to temptation, as we promise that we will never do that horrible thing again, and then we get either really close to doing it or we actually go ahead and do it. It shows up in that we sometimes surprise ourselves by how quickly we, we lose our temper or we're unloving. We're impatient, we're unkind. Death, of course, shows up at every funeral that we attend. It shows up in our bodies as they get older and they start becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And we can't stop these things from happening. Sin, death, and Satan are regular presences in our lives. And we need to be set free from them because we can't set ourselves free from them. And that's what Jesus came to do. First Peter chapter one says that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold, money things like that that he redeemed us it was with something else the bible tells us what the something else was in ephesians chapter one we'll start there it says that in jesus and in him we have redemption through his blood
1: jesus shed his blood he shed his
0: blood for us in isaiah chapter 53 says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We also have redemption not just by his blood, but, but by his suffering, by his being pierced and being crushed and being punished, and by all the wounds that were inflicted upon him on his way to the cross where he shed his blood.
1: The cost of our redemption was Jesus'
0: blood. It was Jesus' suffering. And in general, Jesus summarized it well when he said to his disciples, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give something as a ransom.
1: And do you know what the something was that he identified? The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom. His whole life. The price of our redemption was the blood of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, and really the entire life of Jesus. And why was
0: that the cost? Why was that the price? The book of Psalms helps us understand why that needed to be the particular price of our redemption, why there could not be another way. In Psalm 49, it says that, no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. It's talking about human beings like you and me. Like if you wanted to save my life, you can't offer to God your life to save my life because I'm a life that owes God a death. Because I sin, the wages of my sin is death. I owe that to God. And if you were to come to God and say, well, take my life and I want to offer it for, I want to offer it for that guy so that, he, so that he's saved, God wouldn't accept it because you are also somebody that because of your sins, you owe God a
2: death. But Jesus didn't.
0: Jesus didn't sin. His life was more valuable than yours and mine. And so when Jesus comes to the Father and says, I offer my
2: life, I offer my life. It's an acceptable price.
0: It's something that is far more than you and I could ever give to God. Psalm 49 goes on to say that the the ransom for life is costly. It's costly. And in the Bible, multiple times, the Bible refers to the blood that is inside of us as symbolic of life. And that's why the shedding of blood was so important and why you see it so often throughout the Old Testament in the sacrifices that God had because blood represents your life. If you remove the blood from a person or from a living being, then that living being no longer has any type of life. And that's why in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were offered again and again and again. And they were bloody sacrifices because God wanted to see the cost of our sins, that it costs us our life. but he worked something else into those Old Testament sacrifices. Reminders that there was somebody who was willing to pay that cost for us. One of those particular reminders showed up every year on what was called the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, two goats were brought to the high priest who was was working at the temple that day. The high priest was like the pastor and he was getting ready to offer the sacrifices and two goats would be brought to him and, and one goat would, well, they, would, they would slit its throat so that the blood would pour out of the goat. And they would collect the, the blood of that goat in a dish. And then the priest would take that dish with the blood of the goat and he would do many things with that. But one of the things that he would do with, with, the, with the bowl of blood was that he would dip his hands into it multiple times again and again and again and again. He would do some things inside the temple and then he would come outside the temple and do, and do this. After he had dipped his hands in the bloody bowl multiple times, of course, his hands would be covered with blood. And that was symbolic of the truth that there is blood on our hands when it comes to our sins. We are guilty of our sins. And God wanted his people to remember that, just like he wants you and I to remember that, that we are guilty of our sins. We can't put those off on anyone else. Our
1: sins are our sins. The blood is on our hands. But remember, there
0: was a second goat that was brought there. And after the high priest would show the people his bloody hands, he would take his bloody hands and he would put them on top of the head of the other goat. And then he would start confessing the sins of all the people there
1: over the goat. In a sense, blaming the goat who
0: did not commit those sins for all the sins, saying, goat, you are guilty of the sins of, fill in the blank with all the different sins. You are guilty of this sin and my sin, that person's sin and this person's sin, blaming the goat, which of course, it wasn't the goat's fault. The goat was innocent, but the priest was taking the blood that was on his hands, placing it onto the head of the innocent goat. And then once he got done confessing all of the sins, they would send the goat out into the desert, into the wilderness where it would die all by itself.
1: And in doing that, God was giving them a picture of what Jesus would one day do is that Jesus would take the blood that was on our hands and put it on his own head. He would take our lives and put the responsibility of all of it on his shoulders. And he would carry it as if it were his own. And then he would go off, not into the wilderness, but onto a cross where he would die all alone as our substitute. Where he paid the full cost that
0: we owe God. And he did it for us. It's an important point to remember that the person who saves us had to die and suffer like Jesus did in order to save us, had to shed his blood, had to suffer like that, had to give his whole life because that's what we owe God, all of it. And so the person who saves us had to offer those things had to die and suffer just like Jesus did. There wasn't an easier way. It wasn't just like a snap of his fingers where he could say, oh, everybody is saved. There was a cost that needed to be paid and a big cost. And so the person who saves us had to pay that particular cost and Jesus did. And he didn't just do it
1: willingly. He did it very humbly
0: in the sense that he had the power to stop it from happening. There are a lot of times in the Bible where we see that particular point, but I'm going to talk about one. It's the night when Jesus was in the garden. He was going to be betrayed by Judas, his disciple. So the night before Jesus would offer his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. But Judas, his disciple, came with kind of an army of men ready to arrest Jesus. And when Judas came with his men, Jesus asked him, well, who are you looking for? And they answered very simply, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, well, I'm, I'm he. And then all the soldiers fell down on the ground, <laughs> even though they didn't want that to happen. Uh, it's not like they all tripped all at the same time, but Jesus made them fall down. He was showing them his power to do anything. And then they got up on their feet, kind of a little confused about what happened. And Jesus asked them again, well, who is it that you're looking for? And they said, well, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said again, and they said, well, that's me. I, I am he. And as soon as he said that, they all fell down on the ground again, even though they didn't try to, even though. They hadn't even taken any steps forward. They just, they suddenly fell down. Jesus was showing them his power. And it wasn't the only time that he showed that power that night. Jesus' disciple, Peter, was also there. And Peter got really, really, well, his, really emotional when they were ready to arrest his friend. And he didn't want that to happen. So he took out his sword and he took a swipe at the ear of one of the, one of the other guys who had come, a guy named Malchus. And he ended up cutting his ear off. And, and Jesus said to Peter, Peter, put, put your sword away. And then he picked up the guy's ear from the ground and put it, on, put it back on the guy and healed it as if it had never been cut off. Again, showing his power to be able to do anything. And yet, even though Jesus clearly showed he had the power to do anything, he allowed himself to be taken that night. He could have stopped it from happening, but he didn't. He humbled himself by choosing to not use his power to set himself free. That's what the book of Philippians talks about when it says in chapter two that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself by not using all of his divine power, by not revealing all of his divine
1: glory. And he did that in multiple ways.
0: If, you, um, if you're familiar with the Christian church, you might know that the Christian church has some historic creeds. A creed is a confession, something that we say that we believe is true. And the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed are probably the most famous creeds that they are. They go back a long ways. They each have their own history. but But they go through different parts of the life of Jesus. And In some of those creeds, it goes through different steps of Jesus' humiliation, different particular things that Jesus did that would have been particularly humiliating for God. It goes through six steps of that. It starts by saying that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That was the beginning of Jesus who was living in eternity and the glory of everything that the Son of God has always been. Where he stepped down from his throne for a bit and crammed himself into the womb
1: of a young woman named Mary and lived there for nine months as a human being that was growing and developing. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then he was born of a virgin,
0: it goes on to say. He was born as a human being. He didn't look all that special. He didn't look all that glorious. He looked like babies do, which of course are. Babies are wonderful and beautiful and cute and all those different things, but Jesus looked just like you and me. He associated himself with people like us. When you think about who he is, that's a little humiliating for him. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary, and then he suffered under Pontius Pilate, it goes on to say. All the suffering and the beating and the whips and the nails
1: and the shedding of blood. Humiliating conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified,
2: died, and was buried. I don't know if you can look more humiliated as God
1: than seemingly having your life taken from you and being taken down from a cross as a lifeless being buried in the dirt. At least to a Bible buzzword, those are the steps of the humiliation that Jesus chose to not make full use of his power and his glory so that he could do what was required to save us.
2: And to save us, That's significant.
0: And to highlight why I'd like to take you back to Hosea, the guy that we started with. Remember God arranged his marriage and one day his wife was gone and found out where she was and he had to go buy her back and he did. And we asked the question, what would someone pay for someone like you? Well, what do you think
1: someone would normally pay for someone like Hosea's wife, Gomer? That was her name, Gomer.
2: Because Gomer,
0: well, the reason she left was because she was going off to do what Gomer had been really good at doing before Hosea proposed to her.
1: Gomer was a prostitute. Gomer was a prostitute when God told Hosea, I picked out your wife for you.
2: Go and marry that prostitute. And Hosea did. He proposed to her. He said, I will love you,
1: and I'd like you to love me too. But then eventually, at some point,
0: Gomer went off to do what was she had been in the habit of doing. She continued to be a prostitute. And she went off, and she had been working for someone who was benefiting from what she did. And, and then she was up for auction one day on the auction block with other prostitutes. And so Hosea
1: went to the auction house. And if somebody bid something, Hosea bid more. If somebody outbid him, then he outbid them.
2: He was willing to pay whatever it took to love someone who wasn't very good at loving him. That's what Jesus did. He loved someone willing to pay the highest cost, to buy back
1: individuals who aren't always so great at at loving him. I don't know if
2: you'd consider Gomer the worst type of person,
1: but I bet sometimes you feel like you are, when it's just you and God's Word, when it's just you and your conscience,
2: when it's just you and You're feeling guilty about something. And yet Jesus already paid the price for you. He already showed that he will always love you.
1: He already showed that he was willing to do whatever it takes to have you with him. And that was the whole point of arranging Hosea's marriage. It was to teach God's people back then What the heart of god has always been like
2: he sees us he sees our sins he knows the cost of every one of them and he already paid it the cost was already paid
1: by jesus the son of god your redeemer
2: who already bought you back into the family of god